Uh, let's start with a prayer this morning. If you would bow your head with me. Holy God, we come to you. Father, just with a profound sense of our unworthiness, God, there's no right, no claim that we have to even come into your presence but by the blood of Christ. And we're thankful, so thankful for Jesus. So thankful that you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you and to worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you for the gift of his blood. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you for the gift of your word. Speak through your word, Father. Uh, in all of our failure and brokenness this morning, show us uh, what we need to be and how we can, can join in with what you've got going on in this church and in this city and in this world, Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And there are a lot of prayer needs that you can see in your bulletin. Lift those up before the Father, especially the Hines and the Lewis families. Uh, we, we lost Chris, and we celebrate that he got uh, his reward. He's with the Lord now, but we are sad uh, that he has left us, and we're very sad for Lauren, and know that they had hoped to have many more years together. But uh, So lift those folks up. This morning, I want to start with... Uh, as we talk about Peter this morning, I want to talk about Peter's top 10 worst moments, all right? Peter's top 10 worst moments. It's a list I've had going for a while, and I change it every time I come back to it, reorder it or put something new in, because honestly, there's plenty of material about some of his not-so-great moments. So let's start with number 10 uh, fishing fail. Number 10, fishing fail. Peter, a commercial fisherman, spent all night fishing with his crew and caught zero fish. Absolutely no fish. Number nine, uh, Peter telling God no. I think you could have five or six that you could put under this category, but here's one. Peter telling God no. Peter argued with God after a divine vision, sending him to preach to the Gentiles. God had to repeat that vision one, two, three times before Peter would finally relent and say, okay, I'll go. I'll talk to Cornelius. Number eight, bad idea, Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are there. Jesus transfigures on the mountain with Elijah and Moses. On the mount, Peter interrupted Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. Interrupt them, proposes building shrines to them. Uh, Mark notes, he blurted this out without thinking. I love Peter. He blurted that out without thinking. I've done that a few times. Number seven, the sinking feeling. Right? Peter lost faith, sunk into the cold waters of the Sea of Galilee. After that initial uh, attempt to walk on water with Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, Ye of little faith. At least he got out of the boat, right? Number six, locking horns with Jesus. At the Last Supper, Jesus refused to allow, uh, Peter refused to allow Jesus to wash his feet. And, uh, and as usual, Jesus rebuked him. Uh, number five, name-calling. This one's a good one. Moments after earning uh, the nickname The Rock. Sorry, Dwayne Johnson. Peter was first. Moments after earning the nickname The Rock. Uh, Satan is the phrase or the word Jesus uses to, 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 to talk to Peter after that because Peter argues with Jesus about his identity as Messiah and Savior of the world. Not good there. Number four, uh, this one is not good at all. Discrimination disciple. Peter refused to eat with the Gentile Christians in Antioch and uh, the Apostle Paul finally had to get in his face and kind of tell him off. Number three, sleepyhead. Peter fell asleep during that very special should have been prayer time at Gethsemane 
earning a reprimand from Jesus. The Lord said to him, Are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Number two, hasty promise. Peter argued with Jesus. When told that he would that very night disown the Lord, he argued with Jesus. Matthew 26, 35, I will never disown you. How about three times in the next couple hours, all right? Uh, number one, denial. Peter disowned Jesus three times in one night. There it is uh, from Matthew 26, 74, just one of these. Peter got really nervous and swore, I don't know the man. I don't even know Jesus. Never heard of the guy, right? Um, why focus on Peter's failures? Is that kind of cruel? I mean, to get out the microscope and just zoom in on this guy's worst moments? Is, is the Bible just, just is, is God mean to record all of this in the bestseller of all time? This guy's kind of worst moments. And as far as his worst, I think we could all agree, his very worst moments, uh, that night of betrayal, the Gospel of, of Matthew records the, that night, in great detail, the night Peter forsook Jesus, the Gospel of Mark also records the betrayal and the failure in great detail. So does Luke. And just to complete it, John also, in high def, slow motion, records all of the details of Peter's failure on that night, his disowning of Jesus. And I know that Peter... I know he was grateful for the redemption that he received from Jesus, but I wonder if he was like, really, God? I mean, you're going to record that night in all four of the Gospels? Not, not even the birth of Jesus is recorded in all of the four Gospels, but you're going to put my worst night in there. I don't know about you, but I see a lot of myself in Peter. I see a lot of myself in his failure and his weakness I identify with him, his awkwardness, his, his hastiness, his rashness, and his desire to grow and become a better man and a better disciple. I see a lot of myself in all of that. I identify with Peter. And the truth is, Peter didn't just fail, though. We're going to talk about this this morning. Peter decided to fail forward, right? He decided to fail in the right direction because of the forgiveness that he found in Jesus, because of the empowering presence of the Spirit in his life, Peter leveraged his failure for good, or he allowed God to do that, and to change him, to make him a new sort of person. He was able to fail forward. He became a fearless proclaimer of the gospel. And yes, he became the poster child for everyone who needs a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a whatever chance. Amen? And so Peter's life becomes this, this resounding proof that no matter how badly we blow it, we can be refreshed and we can be rebooted by the grace and the love of God. So now let's zoom in and take a look at that one particular night. Honestly, the night started with such poise and such promise from Peter. Peter the rock declared at the beginning of the evening that he would never, ever turn his back on Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verse 29, even, Lord, even if everyone 
else deserts you, I never will. What a promise there. Jesus had to break the news to him. Sorry, buddy. But even you, Peter, even you, my rock, you're going to deny me. In fact, before this very evening is over, you will deny me three times before the cock crows twice and the morning dawns. Verse 31, no, Peter declared emphatically, no, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And you know what? I think Peter meant every word of that, right? I mean, I think he did. I think he was being very sincere, very honest here. I think he believed that he would never let Jesus down. He would be faithful even if it meant dying with Jesus, dying for Jesus. And, and later on in that night, courage, irrational courage perhaps, but Peter takes on a squad of armed soldiers with a sword single-handedly willing to try to fight them off to protect Jesus. He was ready to take on the armed mob. But later on in that same night, he wouldn't even be willing to take on a servant girl's casual accusation. That night in the garden, Jesus was arrested by, G by Judas, by that mob that came with Judas. The Lord was led off to the home of Caiaphas, and uh, for this trial, air quotes, a sham trial. Um, and Peter followed, but at a, at a safe distance. And arriving in that courtyard there outside of Caiaphas's house, Peter sat cloaked in anonymity, warming himself by a fire with others. And there he worries. And there Peter plans his next move. And there Peter tries to sort out what is going on here. Most of all, there Peter tries to go unnoticed. And in the uncertain light of the fire, a girl looks at Peter. She squints and she says, he's one of them. He's one of the disciples. Peter feels the gaze of everyone around the fire turn toward him. And he's got to be thinking, what good would, it, would, would be accomplished if, if I get arrested as well? What good would, would it do for me or the disciples? Surely it would only make matters worse for me to also be arrested. So like a politician backtracking from an unwanted endorsement, Peter disavows. I don't know what you're talking about. A few minutes later, a servant girl again levels this accusation that this man sitting by the fire was one of those who had been with Jesus. Peter again denies it. Me with Jesus? Uh-uh, never. Later, after hearing Peter's unmistakable Galilean accent, other bystanders around the fire end up agreeing that Peter must be one of them because he's a Galilean. And this time, Peter knows he is in trouble. 
He is going to really have to work to wriggle himself out of this one. And so Peter lets loose a string of expletives and curses, hoping to deflect attention from his identity, away from him and his relationship with Jesus. He categorically denies any association with Jesus. And it seems to work. The accusers turn away from him and get back to whatever it was they were talking about before. And at that moment, somewhere in the distance, a rooster stands up, stretches its neck, and crows. And Peter feels the cold sting of betrayal, his betrayal. And when he looks toward Caiaphas's house, we know he actually makes eye contact with Jesus in the distance. Jesus doesn't wag a finger at him. Jesus doesn't shake his head in disgust. Jesus was not surprised by any of this. Jesus loved Peter before this denial. And Jesus was going to love Peter after this denial. But Peter just begins to emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually implode. He just kind of collapses in on himself, running out away from the courtyard, out into the night. He weeps inconsolably the weight of the guilt and the shame is just too much to bear. And somewhere off in the distance, he collapses and he just cries. What have I done? What have I done? Three times. Three times I forsook my Lord. He was crushed. He was ashamed. He knew the full weight of failure. But Peter never gave up. I can't help but think of Judas. Two guys the same night. I mean, Judas Iscariot failed. Peter failed. But Judas Iscariot gave up. Took his own life. He ended his story. But somewhere in Peter's grieving heart, somewhere there was a flicker of faith. There was something telling him that this night would not be the end of his journey. And not many days later, but it seemed like a lifetime later, not many days later he would be reunited with Jesus, but so much had happened in that space of time. Jesus had been found guilty. Jesus had been turned over to the Romans. Jesus had been executed on a Roman cross. And Jesus, yes, had been raised from death to life. Peter was back up in Galilee. Went back to the life he knew before Jesus. Sat on his fishing boat with his guys. And there on the shore, he saw that familiar face. 
And he heard that familiar voice of Jesus calling out to him. He jumps out of the boat into the cold waters, swims to shore, and there you know how it ends. Jesus asks him face to face three times, hey, G- hey Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And it was then that he knew he was forgiven three betrayals and three I love yous. It's a fresh start. It's when that flicker of of faith was fanned into a flame. And what a turnaround it was for Peter. I mean, in Jerusalem, in public, before multitudes, before some people who who had strung Jesus up on that cross, Peter will preach audaciously the first gospel sermon passionately, fearlessly in Acts chapter 2. Later on, Peter will be thrown into jail for refusing to back down, for continuing to preach the gospel. And at one point, he's questioned by Caiaphas, the same guy who questioned Jesus, and other religious figures questioned him, those who had helped put Jesus on the cross. And in that setting, Peter, along with John, they wouldn't back down. They wouldn't deny Jesus. They wouldn't say, no, we'll never preach the gospel again. They fearlessly proclaimed the word of God. And I love what Luke records about this in Mark. I mean, in Acts chapter 4, Luke records this. And now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Interestingly, that's the exact same accusation the servant girl made by the kid. He's been with Jesus. But here it is a badge of honor. It describes the difference in this man. How can he be so courageous? How can he preach so powerfully? What a turnaround. What made these ordinary guys, fishermen, extraordinary. Well, they had been with Jesus. He's the one who made the difference. There is no way to fully understand the stunning shift in the life of Peter, this amazing comeback, except to appeal to his relationship with Jesus. Here's the thing, we all fail. We all fail. But not only does failure not have to have the last word in our lives, we can actually fail forward. We can actually grow through our failure. We can can embrace the Lord's grace and the Spirit's embrace. We can see failure as something that God can use to teach us to correct us, to humble us, to make us stronger, and even to open up new doorways for ministry and work in his kingdom. And what I want to do this morning, I want to just let Peter finish the message for us this morning. I want to let him preach the last part of the sermon this morning because he has a lot, I think, to tell us about not quitting on God and not quitting on ourselves. I think Peter has a lot to tell us about second chances So I want to let him finish our lesson this morning. Listen to what he said in 2 Peter 3, 9. This is from the message 
Peter said this to, to a group of believers. He said, he's giving everyone space and time to change. And oh, did Peter know that from personal experience. <laughs> it's what God does. He gives people space and time to change. And if you are here this morning, your journey isn't over. The last chapter has not been written in your life. By His grace, you've been given space, you've been given time. What will you do with it? How will you use that? So write this down. Peter is saying this on your outline. With Jesus, my failures aren't final. Amen. Hallelujah. My failures are not final. It's never too late for a fresh start. Now something else to think about from his experience, I think the apostle wants us to consider that this life in Christ, it is not a solo project, right? We do life together in community. God has put us together. And even more importantly than that, we do life with the Spirit of God who lives in us. And throughout the Bible, start in Genesis and work your way through, we get the very distinct impression that God actually prefers working through and with seriously flawed people. I mean, just start listing from Noah to Abraham to Moses. To, I mean, just flawed people all the way through. He didn't choose me. He didn't choose you because we got it going on. He chose us because of his character, because of who he is, and because of his great love. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 2. God planned long ago to choose you. Think about that. Long ago, God chose you by making you his people, which is the Spirit's work. And so this morning, I think Peter wants to tell us this. From my experience, I know that God doesn't choose the able he enables the chosen, right? It's his project. It's the Spirit's work. He's the one who does the choosing. He's the one that does the enabling. And I don't know how this happens, but it can happen. And I see it, it does happen sometimes. We easily go from, from a place to this understanding of grace where we totally associate grace oh grace god's grace we totally associate it with our salvation and we somehow disassociate god's grace from our discipleship from our journey after we received jesus as our lord and savior and we can't move from point a to point b without god's grace we can't change without god's grace we can't grow without God's grace. And Peter is very clear on this. Write this down on your outline. We never reach the point where we don't need the Lord's grace. You didn't just need it when you came to Jesus for the first time. 
You don't just need God's grace when you experience a moral failure or a relationship failure or a spiritual setback. You need God's grace every day and you need it more and more, not less and less. Amen? Well, that's not me. This is Peter. Listen to what he says. He says, grace and peace... Grace and peace be given to you, what? More and more, because you truly know God and Jesus our Lord. I would wait, more and more because I know God. I would need less and less. But no, Peter says, you need more and more, trust me. The more you know God, the more you know the Lord Jesus Christ, His holiness, His perfections, the more you know that you need His grace. Jesus has the power of God by which he has given us everything we need to live and to serve God. And through these, he gave us the very great and precious promises. With these gifts, by the way, that word gifts is grace, the graces. Through these graces, these gifts, you can share in being like God. This process of transformation, this process of becoming a new person, a better man, a deeper disciple, it is all about God's grace at work in my life. It's His project. It's based on His promises. And finally, finally, it's out of our own wounds, some of them inflicted on us by life, or inflicted on us by other people in our lives, some of these wounds, self-inflicted wounds, but it's from these bumps and bruises that disciples often discover they minister most powerfully. And Peter found that out. Write this down. My failures have enabled me to give hope and comfort to others who struggle. You will find Peter talking a lot about cares and anxieties. You will find Peter talking a lot about humility, about understanding how weak he is, and he will use that to talk to other people who knew his story. Like he tells these folks in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, he tells them, hey, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Let's read this one together, if you would. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God. Boy, there's a lot in there. Maybe what you needed to hear this morning is, yes, He cares about you. Know that. And yes, you can bring your cares and worries to Him. It all starts with humble yourselves before God. Everyone needs to be lifted up from time to time. And Peter knew that. Everyone fails. Some fail to succeed. Fail in order 
to succeed. Their failure becomes part of their journey. It takes them to new places. It helps them grow in the image of Jesus. It helps them make a bigger and broader impact on the world. And I don't know where you find yourself today, at what part of your journey you find yourself, but Peter's life demonstrates that no matter your sins and shortcomings, you can be refreshed and rebooted by the grace of God. And this morning, maybe it is getting on your knees and praying for that fresh start. Maybe it's taking that first step and putting Jesus on as your Lord and Savior. He's not done changing lives. He's changing lives here in this church, and He would love to change your life, fill you with hope and forgiveness and purpose. If you want to give your life to Christ, you can be baptized into Him this morning and start that journey with the Lord. If you need prayers, get together with somebody around you and pray over whatever it is that's on your heart and cast those cares and anxieties before the Lord or come down and pray with me or one of our shepherds. However you need to respond, do that as we stand together and worship.